start making your way back to your seats. My name is Paige Flam. I'm a partner here at Forest and Grace Church. And man, can I just say it was such a joy to worship with you all this morning. The spirit was here, so grateful for that. Um, I primarily volunteer with the student ministry with Josh Gardner and all the other awesome volunteers. So if you have a teenager, I probably don't know their name, but I know their face because I'm really bad at names. <laughs> we are going to be in the Word this morning. We are going to be reading Mark 20, or sorry, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Um, and that is on page 929 in the Blue Bible in the seat in front of you. I'll give you a second to turn there. Um, here at Forge and Grace, we do believe that this is the Word of God. So once you've gotten into your Bible, if you could go ahead and stand up, and I'll go ahead and read this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields as they made their way. His disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Paige. You guys can have a seat. All right. Look up, John. Come on. Hey, guys. I'm excited to be preaching this morning. Uh, as you may or may not know, we have been in this series called Redeeming rest. Uh, and we have been able to talk about the Sabbath for the last two weeks, and we're talking about it this week and next week. And uh, Sabbath is one of those things that we either feel like there are a bunch of rules or we just like don't talk about Sabbath. Uh, and so this actually has been really, really helpful for me to think about, man, how do I practice Sabbath? How do me and my wife practice Sabbath? What does this look like in our home? And one of the resources that we actually uh, put out uh, last week was something called our Summer Renewal Guide. And so if you were here last week, you received one of those when you came in. Uh, if you didn't receive one of those last week, you are more than welcome. We have them at the welcome desk, a, a few copies uh, if you're interested. But basically what that guide helps us do is to uh, ask some really pointed and uh, important questions, uh, talking about how are we using our time? Do we feel like we're able to be restful in the things that we're doing? And hopefully a bunch of resources in there as well, talking about Sabbath and what rest and growth look like. And so, man, I, I invite you to participate in that with us this summer. Um, if, if I can be so bold to speak for all of us in this room, I think that we could all use a little bit more rest. And so, uh, rest and renewal, they are critical for all of mankind to practice, but especially the Christian. When Christians do not build it into our lives, it can be massively detrimental to our relationships with others and God. And so please lean into that resource, lean into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, man, I think that God really does have something for us. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I believe that Sabbath is something that we often either completely overcomplicate or we just don't consider or talk about at all. And today in our reading, we see that the Pharisees were guilty of the former. Uh, see, the narrative is that the religious elite of their day, as the re religious elite of their day, the Pharisees liked to go above and beyond what Mosaic law called for. Or even they tried to fill in the gaps of where Mosaic law was silent. 
And the thing is, as much as we bash the Pharisees and as foolish as Jesus makes them seem so often, uh, I think that they believed that what they were doing was the right thing. I believe that they believed they were practicing uh, Sabbath and so many other things perfectly. And if I'm being honest, there's actually a massive part of me that desires the type of rules and regulations and order and structure that they practice, and especially when it comes to Sabbath. I think if we had those things, we'd be able to approach it more boldly. Uh, we would say, you mean there's a checklist? There are hyper-clear do's and don'ts to this thing? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Tell me how to practice Sabbath. This structure appeals to the performers and the people-pleasers inside of us all. If there's a clear task in front of us, if there's a clear goal, then the work that we do becomes more meaningful, it seems. You see, this isn't just the Pharisees. This is us. This shows our almost sinful hunger and desire, and we would even call it, uh, we could even call it lust to find our value in the things that we do, the tasks that we perform, the goals that we achieve. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit more later. When we look at the Pharisees here in this story, the Pharisees were engaging in something that we call these days gatekeeping. Has anybody heard this term, gatekeeping? Raise your hand if you've heard this term. Yeah. So uh, I've heard this term a lot. If you, if you don't know the term gatekeeping or understand what it means for us, uh, a gatekeeper is simply one who controls access. Uh, they're a person who decides whether or not someone can come into a community. Now, in today's culture, gatekeeping refers to much more than just the literal gate on the outside of a kingdom or a town or a city. Uh, I'll, I'll say a few examples here that I've experienced in my own life, right? So people will gatekeep Christianity based on the Bible translation that you use, right? Have, has anyone experienced that? Like, I'll say, oh, yeah, like, I, I read from the New Living Translation, the NLT, and they'll be like, are you even a Christian? Like, is that even a Bible? Like, what are you talking about? And then all of us have probably heard of churches that are like, you know, KJV only. If you don't read the KJV, then it's not God's word. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's gatekeeping. Um, I'm guilty of gatekeeping coffee, okay? So uh, anytime, that I see, <laughs> anytime that I see someone, you know, they fill their cup like a quarter of the way with coffee and then with the milk and then with the sugar, and I want to tell them, I really want to tell them, like, hey, I don't think you like coffee. I think you might just like cream and sugar, you know, and that's okay. Like, just admit it. It's fine, you know. I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Please, that's not a good thing, but I'm guilty of doing that. Um, and the other one that I've experienced is fatigue or being tired. People gatekeep being tired. Um, I'm not going to say any names, but I came into the office. The office is here. I work here full time, so narrows it down. I came into the office and I was t talking to one of my coworkers, one of my friends, my greatest friends, and I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I didn't sleep very well last night. I'm so tired. And they're like, oh, tell me about that. Tell me about how you had to wake up and deal with your kids. Oh, wait, you don't have kids. You don't know what it's like to be tired. <laughs> and I was like, I, I feel tired. I think I'm tired. Maybe I'm not tired. I don't know. Um, these are all examples of, of gatekeeping. And I think the best part about gatekeeping is that all of us have participated in it, whether we've said it out loud or not. We've been on both sides of gatekeeping. 
And in this instance that we see in Mark 2, we find the Pharisees gatekeeping Sabbath. Now we know that Sabbath means rest, so the Pharisees were gatekeeping rest. I, this seems like such a foolish idea, and I actually just thought of a conversation in my head that would emulate how ridiculous this is, right? So me over here, like, oh, yeah, I like, took the day off and rested. Oh, well, what did you do? Um, well, I, like, uh, drove down to Salt Lake City and, like, went and got my favorite coffee from my coffee place. You did what? Like, you got in your car and you drove? And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I had to because I love that place, and it's, like, so restful. And they're like, but you're telling me that you got out of bed out, got dressed and got out of your house into your car and drove. Like, that doesn't sound restful at all. Uh, well, no, I, like, I love the place and it was really restful while I was there. Like, I don't, I don't know why you're being so mean about this whole thing, you know? Uh, so that's kind of the absurdity of the conversation that we're talking about. The Pharisees had so many rules and regulations around the Sabbath that if you didn't participate in the exact way that they prescribed, then you were, not, you were literally put on their to-kill list. We actually see later in Mark chapter 3, after Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees sought out how to destroy him. They wanted to kill Jesus for working on the Sabbath. Uh, this is an obvious problem that Jesus not only addresses in the text here, but dismantles, completely dismantles in our reading today. So here are a couple things that we can see here in the text that Jesus says. The first one is this. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, this particular story is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, with slight differences in some of the conversation. But this particular truth is spoken in all three of them. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus knows that this simple statement wasn't going to satisfy the legalistic cravings of the Pharisees. They wanted more than just a statement to be able to uh, defend them. And so Jesus, knowing this, defends his disciples by remembering a time where the old and good king David had, quote-unquote, broken ceremonial rules by eating the bread of the presence. Now, if you want more information, that story is found in uh, chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. But the, the main part of it is this, that only the priests were meant to eat this bread. And David, who though was a man after God's own heart, was not a ceremonial priest in the kingdom. Therefore, it was unlawful for him to eat the bread. Yet, in this instance, because David was being persecuted by King Saul on the run, desperate for anything that would help him to survive, circumstance would allow David to eat this bread. Was it lawful? Well, no. But God, in his sovereignty, allows him to eat the bread in an act of mercy toward David. The priest upheld mercy toward David in lieu of ceremonial law during this time. And so Jesus actually further justifies this in the Matthew account of our passage today. He says, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, the perfecter and fulfiller of the law, justified the disciples' actions with this precedent. But he follows the story of David up with this bold claim, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
Now, Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man. So what was he saying? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In this statement, Jesus is plainly declaring himself as Lord, as God. He proclaims that just as God the Father is Lord of the Sabbath, so also am I Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm sure you can imagine just the stupor on the Pharisees' faces as they hear him say this. But more than the statement itself, I actually love the implication of the statement. And so what's the implication? It's this, that if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, then he can do with the Sabbath whatever he wants. In this moment, Jesus, calling himself Lord, takes liberty with the Sabbath from what the Pharisees understood and restores it to its right meaning. And the audacity in this statement can actually be viewed like this, going back to our gatekeeping image, that the Pharisees' jobs as the self-imposed or self-proclaimed gatekeepers of the kingdom of God was to let in all those who desire to know God, all those who desired to be with him. But instead, they had been keeping the gate into the kingdom by turning away those who didn't fit their mold or their ideas or their works. The standard had been deformed from the image of God into the image of the Pharisees. But we see here in this beautiful picture, the king himself coming down out of his castle to go and confront these so-called gatekeepers and telling them what you are doing is completely wrong. This is not my heart. This is not my desire. And Jesus is the only man who can make that claim and critique because he is the only man who is God. The Sabbath has a Lord, and it's not the Pharisees. It's Jesus. Now, all throughout the gospel, Jesus declares that he has authority, that he is Lord. His interpretations of the law were perfect. His practice of the disciplines were perfect. He knew no sin, therefore he was perfect. This is why the Pharisees were stumped by him over and over again in all of these stories, because there is no rebuttal against absolute truth. We've all seen those videos on YouTube. There is no rebuttal against absolute truth. You can't argue with perfection. He is Lord, and in our text, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the second statement that draws our attention in this text is pretty clear, and I believe that when Jesus says this, this actually releases us from a lot of the shame and guilt that we may feel when it comes to Sabbath, whether we've practiced it well or unwell or we haven't done it at all, and it's this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let's say that one more time. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, these religious leaders in another story were condemned by Jesus with him calling them whitewashed tombs. Now, why did he call them whitewashed tombs? Well, it's because they had the outward appearance of righteousness and holiness, yet on the inside, they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And we can see here in our main text that these Pharisees, these men were foremost concerned with the outward acts of the disciples, that they were concerned with the doings of the disciples. They never once considered the heart of what they were doing, the why behind what they were doing. You see, the disciples were not vandalizing a field out of sheer boredom. They were simply hungry. 
And actually, in their law, in Israel's law, it was stated that they were permitted to pluck grain manually from the fields as they passed by. It was a law that was put in place to take care of the sojourner within them, the one who didn't have a home, the one who was meant to be hungry. The disciples were hungry, and this is why they did it. But the Pharisees, they didn't care. They held the position that man must be constrained by the law. And in this case, especially the law of the Sabbath. For the religious elite, the Sabbath was simply another law that was to be strictly obeyed. It was a limitation, a cage, a jail cell for the people of God. And at this, Jesus responds as only Jesus can. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In these words, Jesus completely restores what had been completely deformed in the Sabbath. It was never meant to be another law to show how pathetic we are in failing it week after week. It was created as a gift or an invitation from God to us. It was not a directive to restrict man, but a bid from the Creator to rightly enjoy creation. Now, our pastor of Preaching and Vision, Josh Knight, talked about this a couple weeks ago. He, he retold the account of creation where God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, the first Sabbath was made to marvel at the work of the creation week, to be still so that nothing would distract us from the beauty and majesty and magnificence of God and his creation. What we can see here is that the Pharisees, they desired religion, But Jesus desires relationship. The Pharisees wanted the works, the tasks, the checklist, but Jesus simply wanted his people to be with him. He wants us to be with him. Now, when it comes to the gift of Sabbath, uh, 17th century British minister Matthew Henry said it this way. He says, The Sabbath is a sacred and divine institution, but we must receive and embrace it as a privilege and a benefit, not as a task and a drudgery. Y'all can try to use that word before you come back next week, see if you can sneak it into a conversation, drudgery. Uh, God never designed it to be an imposition upon us, and therefore, we must not make it so to ourselves. Man was made for God and for his honor and service, but he was not made for the Sabbath. God did design it to be an advantage to us. He made it for man. When we talk about gifts, it's the difference between uh, receiving a gift that you can simply enjoy. So I think about uh, if I were to receive a vinyl record from my favorite artist, or maybe like a brand new watch or something like that, or maybe that bottle of wine that I couldn't justify spending the money on myself, but, you know, somebody else can get it for me. Um, My birthday is August 23rd. (laughs) Sorry. Never mind, never mind. But it's the difference between that kind of gift and like, here you go, here's a dog and it has fleas and now you have to take care of this dog. It's your responsibility. Oh, by the way, you're allergic to dogs. This thing's like gonna slowly kill you over time. Like imagine the difference between those gifts. What I mean by that is that there are those gifts that you receive and it fulfills you. And it's not a burden. It's actually a beautiful thing that restores life versus this thing that you have no idea how to approach. And in the the case of the person who's allergic to the dog, this thing actually kills you over time. You see, the Sabbath was made for man, 
The Sabbath is a gift that is meant to be enjoyed and comforted in straight from God himself. Now, as we look at these two statements, what do they have, uh, what do they bear for us? Uh, If Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, and then he also created it as a gift to us all, then we can look and see how did the one who created the gift enjoy the gift? Where is the practical application? Now, oftentimes when I am over at people's houses for dinner, they try to make me go first. And they're like, hey, why don't you go first? They're trying to be good hosts and, you know, kudos to them. But I always get scared because I'm like, I don't know how to put the stuff on my plate. Like, I don't know what order I'm supposed to do it. And I ask them, like, please, can you go first and you show me how it's done and then I'll follow your lead. I often do that. So you can use that trick at the next dinner party if you don't want to go first. Um, But this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at how Jesus practiced Sabbath. Like I mentioned earlier, some of us, myself included, like the Pharisees, crave direction. We like the idea of the boxes being checked. And though this as a fully fleshed out lifestyle is completely unchristlike, there are still ways that we can look to see how Jesus practiced Sabbath and hope to implement them in our own lives. So the first uh, way that we see is uh, he hung out with his closest friends. In our story today, Jesus is traveling with the disciples. And though I know that probably most of their conversations were holy conversations and, you know, they were talking about the scriptures and all those things, I have no doubt that they actually had fun together. I have no doubt that they had conversations about what their lives were like before Jesus. But the point is they shared their lives together. Yes, they worshiped God together, but they shared the intimate details of their life together. What else? Well, Jesus was often found preaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath day. He was participating in corporate worship, just like we are right now. This is what he did. Now, for some of you, I know that like managing to get your kids dressed for the day, much less like trying to bring them to church where they're going to be seen in public, like I know that can be a really grueling task. Um, But here we see that for Jesus, the gathering of God's people wasn't a burden. It was actually a beautiful way to participate in the unique giftings that God had given his people on the day of rest. In our story, like I mentioned earlier, we see a few verses later that Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Now, this really, really upset the Pharisees because they thought that that was work, so much so that they conspired to kill him. But in Matthew's account of this story, after Jesus heals the man, he says in chapter 12, verse 12, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus performed good works on the Sabbath. He practiced justice and mercy on the Sabbath. He served people on the Sabbath. What else did he do? He dined with people. He ate meals with others. He shared meals with others. And there was one particular story that was actually pretty convicting to me in his sharing meals on the Sabbath. In uh, Luke chapter 14, he actually shares a meal with the, uh, he goes to the house of the leader of the Pharisees. And he goes and has a meal with the leader of the Pharisees and the Pharisees. Can you imagine how awkward that would have been? Like, these guys are trying to kill me, but yeah, I'll go and eat their food. Sure, why not? And the whole time, he's just trying to teach them in parables, like, man, you guys are missing the point of the kingdom of God. But that, that sounds like work. You know, some of us, it's hard enough to go to, like, our in-laws for dinner. Rick and Melissa, I love you guys. Invite me over for dinner anytime. Um, but that can be work. 
But what I love about this is Jesus, in his relationship with the Pharisees, he still desired to teach them the concept of relationship over religion. He was trying to teach them what he, the king, desired. Now, some of us hear all this list and and say, well, none of that sounds like rest. Well, I think what you may be thinking of is retreat. Now, there is a difference between rest and retreat. No doubt, Jesus retreated. He often retreated to what the Bible calls a desolate place, a place of silence and solitude to get away from the demands of his regular pace of life. And no doubt, Jesus practiced this on Sabbath days. Uh, this, this list that Jesus practiced Sabbath isn't a, a, a prescription. This is not a do this and you are not Sabbathing. These are just the ways that were permissible uh, that, uh, in the way that he practiced Sabbath. This is how he participated in the renewing and redeeming rest that the Father had given him in the Sabbath. And what we see is that the common denominator in all of these ways that we see Jesus participating in the Sabbath is that he never forgot to be a life giver to people. He never forgot to give life. The Sabbath was not meant to take life, but to give life. This is how Jesus practiced Sabbath. Sabbath is about rest. It's about the giving and breathing of new life into our souls, into our bones, into our very being. It's about resting from our work to allow the work of God to take hold of our lives. Theologian and reformer John Calvin said it this way, we must be wholly at rest that God may work in us. We must yield our will. We must resign our heart. We must give up all our fleshly desires. In short, we must rest from all activities of our own contriving so that having God working in us, we may repose or rest in him. Jesus calls for that space in our life for him to work in our lives. If we don't do that, then we simply get caught up in the unrest of the world. We rest so that he can work in us. Jesus participated in Sabbath rightly and perfectly. And there's not a more significant day, Sabbath day, in Jesus' life than perhaps the Sabbath day where he was resting in the tomb. You see, the day between his death and his resurrection was a Sabbath day. And in this death rest, Jesus bought back true and eternal rest for us. It was a rest that was only experienced in the pre-fall, pre-sin garden of Eden, and it is a rest that will not be fully realized until he comes again. While we could not fulfill the demands of the law or the Pharisees, while we had to perform sacrifice after sacrifice, weary and restless and worn out, Jesus paid for our ultimate rest. It is a rest that puts all works, merits, earthly achievements, busyness, and legalism to death and breathes true Sabbath rest and life into us. He invites us to die to the restlessness that we experience when our 40-hour work weeks don't feel like they're going to earn us that raise at our job. He invites us to rest to break the cycle of consumerism or the lie that we'll never have enough. He invites us to silence the voice that if you don't get your life together, 
that if you don't come into this building all shiny and perfect, you're not worthy of his love. He invites you to silence that voice and instead hear his voice saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the rest that he calls us into. This is the rest that he paid for with his life. And so the price of the gift of Sabbath rest was high. And so I plead with you, let's take him up on it. Let's take him up on that rest. Let's give him the day. Let's give him a Sabbath day. I I promise you that if you can commit to that, that you will find yourself in more and more of a lifestyle of rest that seeps into the rest of your week. Yes, there may be things that you'll have to pass on and miss on. Yes, there will always be emails in your inbox. Yes, the demands of this life will press from all sides, but the rest that you will find in Christ will give you the grace to meet those demands just like he did in a Christ-like way. Listen, church, your value is not in what you do or the goals that you meet. You are valuable because Christ gave his life for you. He gave his life so that you could rest in him. And so this morning, I just, I just want to ask you, there are those of us in the room who have trusted in Jesus. There are those of us in this room who have said, Jesus, I want to take you up on that rest. And yet we still strive and toil because we don't fully trust that God has given us that rest. And if that's you, I ask that you would take time even now to confess that to him to repent and turn to Jesus as your one true rest. Ask him to help you in that. Ask him to intervene in your life in miraculous ways so that you would be faced with his rest. John Mark Comer says in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that Sabbath is coming for you whether as discipline or as a delight. I almost missed that one. Um, And so please, I, I, I plead with you, Go to God and ask him for that rest. Ask him that you would live into that. Ask him that you would trust him more and more. And then there are those in the room who have not placed your trust in Jesus. Man, I want to tell you that the rest found in Christ is so beautiful and so sweet. There is nothing like it. And the price was high. He paid for it with his own life. So please, Take him up on it. Find your rest in Jesus. It'll be the best thing you ever do. Now, in whichever of those camps you belong in, uh, I just want to encourage you. uh, Later in the gathering, we're going to have people up here who would love to receive you in prayer. uh, And they want to pray that you would find that rest, that you would completely trust in Jesus that you wouldn't feel the need to work and work and work to find your value, but your value has already been told in his death. And so I invite you to just pray with someone. Let them pray those things over your life. Yeah. I'm gonna pray for a half. And we'll continue with our game. Lord, help us to rest in you. God, we know that our souls are restless until they rest in you. So help us 
Help us to find our full and complete rest in you. Help us to live in the in-between of the garden and eternity. Help us to take you up on your invitation and your gift of rest. Lord, I pray that as we go through our week, you would reveal to us the ways that we aren't resting in you. That you would give us moments of clarity, of peace, that you would give us beautiful moments of retreat, but you would also give us beautiful moments on Sabbath to to pour into those people around us. As the rest that you have given us gives life, God, would you help us to give life to those around us? Lord, we confess that none of this happens apart from the power of your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you have your way? Would you encounter us? Would you meet with us? Would you embolden and empower us to do these things? Help us to rest in you. And Jesus, help us to rest in you, we pray in your holy name. Amen.